to another episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have my co-host, researcher, and friend, James Goad. And together, we're discussing the very weird things that preachers say, why they say them, and how they relate back to the latter rain healing revivals of the late 1940s through the 1960s. James, today you have <laughs> picked a doozy of a topic again, and um, <laughs> it's, it's one that I enjoy getting into because it is one of those instances where I can truly say that men are who claiming, they're claiming to be preachers, men are saying doctrines that have no biblical grounding whatsoever for the sole purpose of saying them. <laughs> There's no real good reason why they say them. And had not the central figure made it into an extra biblical doctrine, I'd probably never see it. But the reason I like this topic is there are examples in the Bible that just undermine the whole thing. And I'm, I said last week, I'm not a preacher and I won't get into doctrines. And it, it's ironic to me that I, you know, avoid that and stick with the history. But in cases like this, I just simply point to a specific passage and say, why on earth do you not read this chapter in this book? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's it's crazy because I mean, growing up in 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 churches like this, I mean, politics was a very um, it was something that was talked about a lot, and um, and it, it's it, it's different depending on the different churches you go into. Some are more open about it. Some just say, well, if you spend your time messing with any of that stuff, then you're just wasting your time. But it, it's amazing how much current day politics. Um, is woven into church sermons and, and especially when you're told that you have such a special revelation to begin with. And you would think that all of that stuff would just be so boring compared to everything else you have to talk about. But it seems like the politics of today is so much more important or just as important sometimes. And it gets woven right in and you end up in these really weird places and you talk about some really weird stuff. And uh, I'm sure we're going to get into some of that as we continue on through this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this again, it, it is one of the topics I enjoy. It is really weird and <clears throat> I have to say, this is 2023. The fact that we make some of these statements in 2023, the fact that we're examining ministers who are making these statements, it just blows your mind. Like, they're stuck into some world that died out in the 50s, man. <laughs> but they're trying to, oh, yeah. trying like everything to cling on to it. Yeah, and I think that's a really great segue into our first clip. Um, so, you know, one of the things that is very harped on in the the groups that I came out of was was women and women being in their place and how that <laughs> involves to the authority that they have, especially around voting and things like that. So, um, I guess let's just dive into this clip and let the minister speak for themselves and just see what we think about it. I was asked, well, can't a woman be a doctor? Can't she do this or do this? And I said, well... It's not a question of can. Can they do it? Of course they can do it. Women are Amen. extremely intelligent, very capable in many spheres. The question is should, should. But as we look at the scripture, right. 
What does it tell? What does it say that the vision for womanhood should be? What, is our, what does our world tell, it, tell, tell us the vision is? Go to school, get an education, get a career, and live your life. Right? But does Scripture say that? Is that what Scripture points us to? This is where women got out of their place, was when the vote was granted to them. <laughs> like I said, they're stuck in the 50s, man. <laughs> it's, it's like, I don't know, it's like if you took a Leave it to Beaver show and you told Stephen King, turn this into a horror film, man. <laughs> it's, it's just so, I don't know, man, it's so weird. <clears throat> you know, uh, this is a difficult one because... These ministers, even though it's extra biblical, they have to slice it and dice it in such a way that they can point it back to something that even closely, not even closely because it's not close, something that might resemble Christianity. And the only grounding, the only connection they can make really is the central figure. But I never will forget when towards the end of my time in the message cult, my wife was uh, homeschooling our children, and she was not in favor of doing everything in the way that the cult-approved children teaching programs were set up. She was a special ed teacher with a master's degree, and she understood how education works and what you're supposed to do to train children, right? Whereas many of these women had, you know, some of them are teaching their kids, and they've never even been to school, which is really, really wrong. But she started going through and she wanted to make sure they got actual education, which is missing in a lot of these groups, but combine that with things that are in the Bible in the way in which the cult taught them. And it turned into this weird problem because she started just going through what she knew of the Bible and she would go look it up in the transcripts of the William Branham, the cult leader. And she had a hard time because she found there were only like five or six Bible topics that he taught. He eliminated most of them. And one of the most important Bible topics that he may have mentioned in, in a random statement, but he never really taught it, was where Deborah was the judge of all Israel, man. <laughs> you know... <clears throat> And it's weird today. When we hear the word judge, we think of court system and law, which it was. But back then, it was much different. Deborah was a prophetess, which meant that she she was the single most important mouthpiece by God, from which God's words would speak through Deborah to the people. And that was what she used to judge the people. So she would be like, if you compare the central figure, <laughs> she was the female central figure of all of Israel, according to the Bible. And yes, she did hold courts. It even mentions in the, I think it's the fourth verse, it talks about where she held courts and it was next to the palm trees of Deborah. So she apparently <laughs> sat between these palm trees and she judged the people, but not only was she voting for or against something, she was the final decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy because, I mean, I, I always grow up being told that uh, 
women supposed to be silent in the church? Is that is that right, John? I mean, so Bare, I don't. I don't. Barefoot, pregnant, and chained to the stove, man. <laughs> yeah, something like that. That seems to be about more what I heard. But yeah, no, it, it's crazy because you know, and that's another thing too. You look at these men and you're like, I don't even know if you've even read your Bible. You know, because yeah. and they're saying, well, I love you, sisters. You know, this is not about I don't want to keep you ignorant because you're so intelligent. You're so wonderful. But that intelligence should be used in the home to serve the husband and the children and to keep keep the home in order while the husband is out doing the manual labor. And it, uh, it's just it's crazy, you know. And, you know, I don't have anything against traditional gender roles. I mean, if you've got a man and a woman and the woman wants to wants to be more in the home and the man wants to bring home the bacon and if it's all whatever and consensual and everyone's happy and no one's being and no one's using scripture to try to hold somebody down and chain somebody to a place they don't want to be, it is what it is. But at the same time, they're using scripture to say, well, you know, you can't vote because you're going to get out of your place. And if the woman gets out of her place, then the man can't even be in his place because in all this, in all this garbage. And it's just like, it's like, come on, guys, just let people be people and, and, and let people, let, let people work things out in the relationship and find harmony instead of trying to shove people into these boxes that they don't fit in to begin with. And then trying to say, well, that's cause you're, that's the problems in your marriage is because you're not, you're not lining up with the word enough. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the Mark Lowry co- comedy shows that he used to do them before some of the gospel conventions, but he had the skit where he talked about, you can say anything you want insulting to a person, and as long as you end it with bless their heart, it's okay. <laughs> you look like the backside of a horse, bless your heart, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Well, that's what these ministers do with, we love you, my sisters, bless your heart, <laughs> but, but you are uh, one of the lowest forms of life. You're lower than a dog or a hog. That's the doctrine in this cult. You're lower than a dog or a hog, bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that's something that they just can't get away from as, as no. much as they try to. Um, a lot of this stuff always comes back to that because um, their central figure used very vulgar words and terms to describe women. And it's oh, something yeah. that you can't erase it. You can't wash it away with my precious sister or how they're, they're so beautiful when they're in their place or and all this. It's just, it's, you just, you can't get away from it. That stain cannot be removed from, from the entire thing. And it taints the entire thing from beginning to end. But the ministers, like you said, will try to coat it and sugarcoat it with all the, you know, my precious sister and things like that. And it's like, guys, um, the very guy you're quoting, talked about women as though they're dogs and, 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 and a lowest, you know, and she is capable of things that, that, that not even animals are capable of. And it's just, <laughs> it, it's, it's preposterous and it's sad that, um, you know, people are still, you know, having to hear these things because, because it is, it's just garbage and, and, and ridiculousness. Yeah. And I'm laughing at it. If you're female and you're watching me laugh, please don't be insulted. I'm not laughing at the, <laughs> right. at the situation. I'm laughing at the buffoonery because yeah. uh, I'll say it like this. In most, maybe not all, but in most of the cult churches that I attended, 
there were women in the congregation who were being told that they were idiots who actually knew more about their Bible than the man who was behind the microphone on the platform. And I strongly suspect that the reason why they continue this doctrine is they they know this. <laughs> they know that they're out playing golf or whatever it is they do with the people's money. And if a female were to suddenly say, wait a minute, what you just said, repeating this cult leader, is absolutely anti-biblical, they might overthrow the whole church and suddenly they're no longer playing golf and they have to go to McDonald's and flip burgers for their living. <laughs> so I, you know, I strongly suspect that there's some fear in these, in the hearts of these ministers to that the women might have an uprising. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I imagine that would be a very vicious uprising if it were to happen. <laughs> Cause oh, yeah. there's a lot of pent up frustration in a lot of these churches with what people have to go through. But yeah, it, it's, it is, it's, it's silly. And like you said, the, the, you know, we joke and we, and we laugh and stuff, but a lot of times we, I've even thought about this myself. When I do things like that, it's not, I'm not laughing at the situation. It's I'm, I'm laughing at that preposterous version of myself that was in the message because it is so ridiculous to me now. Like I, I look back at it and I'm just like, it, it, it's, it's comical in a way that I even listened to these things and I thought that they were the truth. <laughs> yeah. It's like, cause you look at it now and you're like, how did I even, how did I even hear those things and think that it was normal? Yeah. You know, but that's, but that's just what it is when you're in a, when you're in a group like that and you're raised to believe that it's the truth and, and you're, you're, you're normalized to it. And so that, that, that just happens. It's a product of your environment. But, uh, but yeah, you know, there's, there's, uh, Politics and, you know, and, and, and really this is more about, you know, the politics is, it's the, that particular first clip is, is something that gets you down a really interesting rabbit hole. And <laughs> it's something that you and Charles have examined quite thoroughly in, in the main historical podcast. But if we, if we, if we go down that road too far, we won't actually get back to the main topic here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and I'm going to argue that that is likely a thread that is going to be woven through all of this for me <laughs> because when yeah. we get into it i mean seriously these men are afraid of the women they truly are mm. afraid of the women and the fact that this doctrine came from a central figure who admitted that he had an incurable mental health disorder and was delusional and these men continue this well they've created this platform and, and I'm I'm circling back in, so don't fear that I'm going to go down a never-ending rabbit hole. But <laughs> they created this platform of fear in which they are afraid of an actual vote. They're afraid of every single person sitting in the pew because many of them, like I said, many of the people in the pew know their Bible better than the minister. And the minister's corralled into this weird corner, right? Because the cult leader self-admitted that he did not know i don't know the book real well he said but i know the author <laughs> he, he also admitted that he had no clue what was in the bible well these men now have to preach these doctrines that they know aren't in the bible and they're preaching them to people some of which have read the bible and so what happens when you get into a vote james you've got people who might realize wait a minute this man has no clue. What is Christianity? Why do we right. keep him up there? <laughs> Let's vote in Sister Bertha here, who knows her Bible better than the minister. <laughs> right. And the, the one of the biggest problems with 
the central figure saying, I don't know my Bible really well, but I know the author. It enables people to take positions of authority in the group who have no clue about their Bible, who are not really well versed in the meaning and, and, and really pulling out the true meaning of what's going on and, and, and looking at, you know, all the years and years of commentary on all the various scriptures to really drill down and determine what's going on. I mean, a lot of these ministers still prop up the King James version of the Bible as the ultimate translation, the, the most important translation we have. And that was God's, I was always taught that that was God's version of the Bible, that, that God had his hand on that translation we, to get to the point where they could translate it under the, under King James to get to that point and then to bring it to us. And it's, it, it's the most pure version of the Bible. And then, you know, I mean, just, just look into the various problems without the, the some of the translations and especially the King James and like what the intent was to re, to pull certain things out of the scriptures to you know for their own purposes but you know that's the different that's a topic for a different different <laughs> podcast <laughs> but you know and then you look at these these ministers who are they're up on the platform they're they're the thing that they're taught is you know education is of the devil civilization is of the devil um you know you've got a central figure who said i don't know the book real well but i know i i I know the guy who wrote it and it's like you open up a system where these and these ministers have the highest authority in these churches you know uh, because the central figure is not here anymore so the pastors have the ultimate authority in in these churches and when you have a situation like that you can have situations where you have ignorant men regurgitating harmful and evil things that uh, a central figure said, especially against women. And they're trying to make it not seem so bad, but they're still perpetuating the very, the filth that this central figure spoke in his sermons about women and, you know, education and all these things. And some of them are, are, they're, they're, they're sucked into it. They believe it wholeheartedly. And they're just trying to make, they're trying to hold the idea that I don't think I'm a bad person, but I believe this to be the truth. So I'm trying to package it in a way that it doesn't sound so bad because I think there's truth here and maybe it's just misunderstood. But then you have people who know that it's garbage and they're just perpetuating it because like you said, they don't want to go work at McDonald's because a lot of them (laughs) don't have skills outside of manipulating the congregation. So it's, it's sad and it, it, it's it's crazy in a lot of ways because you look at what's going on and the continual um, re-victimizing of people by by ministers who are using a, a, a central figure's words to warp the Bible into whatever meaning they want it to be on any given Sunday. Yeah, the, the King James thing is interesting. We'll get into this more in the historical podcast in the future, but... Um, you're gonna, this is a phrase you're going to hear more and more often from me in the upcoming weeks and months, but British Israelism, um, there's this central theme that the 12, the lost 12 tribes of Israel were being reestablished on the British Isles and then in the United States. And (laughs) they, they were trying to reestablish basically the Old Testament. They were repurposing passages of the Old Testament saying that, this passage applied to the years gone by in the ancient world, and it also applies to today. And this did not even start with what we know as British Israelism. King James, 
believed that he was the the uh, you know the biblical King David that was going to reestablish the throne, and that's why he went through this big journey of interpreting of translating the Bible. But what happened is you've got men who then wanted to establish themselves as judges, many of which, you know, the judges in the Old Testament, not all of them were voted in. And so you've got this weird thing where men believe that they have a biblical right not to conduct a popular opinion as to whether or not they should either enter into the ministry or remain in it. And not many people know this. I think I have mentioned it with you, but my grandfather, he <laughs> he had both. He wanted to play both sides of the fence. He did conduct a vote, but they only measured the vote statistics of a, just a certain small part of the Branham Tabernacle. If you weren't what they considered a regular attendee, in other words, if you weren't there in your seat every single Sunday, they had the option to throw your vote out. And so there, there were people whose vote they voted and they thought their vote counted. And every single election, my grandfather would walk out to the platform and he would say, thank you, brothers and sisters. Everything remains the same. <laughs> it's amazing how that works. Um, yeah, man, I tell you what, it, it, it's, it's crazy when, when you look at, the way some of these ministers, like you said, handle handle voting in their church, it, it it's it's amazing how um, some of them get away with it. Really, honestly, because you you think about that's something that <clears throat> I was told that was a very important part of the church. You know, the church like votes in the pastor and things like that. But there's one thing that uh, there's one of these clips that I came across when I was researching this topic and it, it, it's very fascinating when I saw it that I could see a minister openly saying these things about how they conduct or don't conduct voting in the church. Um, but let's uh, let's let the minister speak for himself and let, let's uh, let's examine this one a little further. You know, here at church, uh, if you have noticed and been here for a while, you notice that we have don't don't have any pacifiers here. We don't have a, adult diapers here. We don't have a lot of drama here in this church. I'm not a drama guy. I don't like drama. My home is not drama. I don't fuss, fight, fume, do all those different kind of things that cause drama because I believe God wants to live in this church. We don't have boards and we don't vote and we don't do all of those kind of things that create politics in the church. We don't do drama here. You have drama like that in your churches? Hey, we got some empty pews. Come on. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to respond to this, man. It's like, you know, <laughs> imagine if we did this in the United States election, right? <laughs> the president gets up and says, I know that you think I'm not qualified to be up here, but we're not going to get into politics over that. I'm just going to stay here. <laughs> yeah, that would create a lot of problems. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's crazy. Cause you, you look at how this goes on and, and what you're doing is you're, you're, 
You're saying I'm the central authority in this congregation, you know, because I don't I, I care about you enough that I don't want to create politics and, and senseless division in here. So we, we don't have boards and we don't we don't do votes, um, you know, and it's another thing that I've seen ministers do. Um, and some don't openly come out and just say, well, we don't vote. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where a lot of times you'll see in churches where the ministers will if they do have a board or they do have anything, there'll be a lot of family on it. There'll be a lot of little sons and, 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 and people like that, people who they have influence over. And like you said in, in the, in the, it, the, the story you used about your grandfather, you can sort of massage things to go the way you want them to go. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> if you, if you have enough control over the, over the, the, the power structures, then yeah, you can, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, it's crazy. And, I, honestly, I don't know how some of these ministers that are more open about this get away with it like they do, because that is that is setting up your church to be a very, very controlled. And, and like the, like I said, the minister is the only one who has any say at the end of the day, and they are set up as without the prophet messenger they are they are the highest say in your church next to god and they're the ones who are interpreting what god says in your church so uh yeah that's a problem <laughs> yeah <clears throat> and i can't say it about this minister in in particular i actually i know who this is but i i i purposefully don't study the ministers because they're victims too many of them <clears throat> like we said before they're victor they're victims who now become victimizers in many cases but what i have seen and you know the following is largely unaware unless they've been through it many of these men cook the books <laughs> and so what you end up with is there, there are so many financial schemes going on in the church that the minister alone cooks the books and understands that this money is not being used in the way that they think they're, that it is being used. And so they do not want to vote. Should somebody be vote, should he be voted out and somebody voted in? Well, suddenly they're in the middle of a massive lawsuit because they've been stealing from the people. And the reason I know this, because they, you know, they're very, very secretive about their books. Um, and I should pause there because I think not everybody realizes how, you know, if you've been in this, you don't realize how a normal church works. Whenever I was, when I entered my first church post cult, I was a little surprised. It, it took me aback because as, if you walked into the Branham Tabernacle. There was always this posting on the door that we made so much income off of the tithes and we donated it here. And that's all you got. Two line items on the ledger. That's really all you could see. <clears throat> and you didn't know what that money's used for, right? I found later, which I've documented fairly well, that it wasn't quite used in the way we thought it was. Well, when I went to the first church after this, they gave me this stack of papers. I kid you not. It was like this thick. It was everything from our one of the air conditioner units has failed and we need money for it down to we have <laughs> X number rows of toilet paper and we need Y number rows of toilet paper to make it through the month. That's the level of detail we got. And the people actually got together and voted and if the tithing wasn't enough or the offering, there is no 10% tithe in most normal churches today. 
but there's this free will offering. The minister would get up and say, we do have a need, and they're very open about it. My salary is only, I, I want to say this guy was like 50000 a year. It wasn't much. And he said, my salary is only 50000 I've been covering some of these expenses, but my family is getting to the point where we need some help. And he would just present it to people. We need some help. You know, give some money. Well, in the cult, that's not the way this works. You are harshly scolded if you do not give 10% tithe. And every 10th person is an entire salary for one of these guys. And they don't tell you how they're using the money. And in many cases, the people in need in the church don't get any help, financial help. My grandfather did, but there are many churches I went to that did not. And my grandfather's help, not a lot of people know this either, the church money was almost never used to help somebody who was in dire financial need. It came out of my grandfather's pocket because he could not convince the board to give money to the people in need. So he paid it out of his own pocket. Well, in many cult churches, this is the case. If you're in need, you're not going to get the money. But then, and going back to what I was saying earlier, then the problem comes whenever the guy who's cooking the books dies out. Suddenly he dies, somebody new comes in, and they look at the books and say, what in the world? This guy and his wife and his children are taking our money. <laughs> and there are law <laughs> I've not published them yet, but there are lawsuits. We've actually got court records for some of this stuff, man. It's, it's kind of odd what these guys are doing, but it's not unusual what these guys are doing. This is a huge problem in the cult. Yeah, and it, it it is yeah, it's the power structure that's set up in these cult churches is extremely problematic and you know, like you said, a lot of it extremely benefits the 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 minister. You know, you know, it, it's it's hearing that story that you mentioned of that of that guy from another uh, healthier church environment that you you talked about. It's completely night and day to what I've experienced. I mean, I mean, I'm used to cult ministers having mansions. Or might as well be a mansion compared to what most people have in their churches, driving Cadillacs, driving really expensive vehicles. And some people only have like a little old beat up vehicle that they can get to church on Sunday in. But the minister has these massive, you know, they're, 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 they've got they've got really nice stuff. And, and you know, it's when you look at the the tithing and the 10 percent, you know, it, it it really helps understand how they're getting there. But even then. You know, I, I've even seen instances where ministers, you know, there's a need in the church and all of a sudden they come up with an amazing amount of money and they're like, oh, the Lord told me to hold this money back for X, Y, Z reason. <laughs> and then I feel led to, it's like, well, why were you holding it back? Why yeah. why wasn't the church holding on to it? Is the church not secure enough to hold on to this money? Or does the minister need to hold on to it? And it, it but, you know, like you said, there's 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 a lot of weird and and there's cooked books and there's a lot of shady things that go on in some of these churches and um when you don't have the power to when the people don't have the power to make their voice heard, when they can't vote, when they can't say, hey, this minister is uh, taking us for a ride and we think we need somebody else to come in who has actually got our best interest in mind. Um, if you don't have a system where you can vote the minister out, you know, because he took that out because that would just create politics, brother and sister, you know, and it's it create 
creates a lot of potential for really bad situations. And once you get in there, how do you get out if you can't vote? Oh, yeah. You know, and all the while, these men are making fun of the people like, I don't know, Creflo Dollar, who's taking the money and bless God, the more you give me, the more you're going to get back. And therefore, I'm going to buy me an airplane. (laughs) They make fun (laughs) of that weirdness. And they don't tell you about the houseboat that they bought at the lake, man. You know, (laughs) yeah, they're not buying an airplane, but that money's going somewhere, I can assure you, because you don't see it to the people in need who are going to the churches. Now, I will say that in defense, I have been to some very small, no-name churches in the cult who actually did help the poor. It's not that every single church has a decree, you must steal the money from the people and make yourself new mansions and buy houseboats and all this stuff. There, There are some who legitimately try to help people. But you look at the big... Cult mega churches, I guess you'd call them. I don't know what you call these things. The bigger ones, the more established ones, where money is coming in left and right. You know, if you've got, again, every tenth person is an entire salary. So say you got a thousand people coming. How many salaries is that? And what do you do with the money? And also, if it turns from a donation to now we've got more money than we can spend for the organization, now you lose your nonprofit status. And we've also seen the cases where these men, their churches are no longer nonprofit because it is a for-profit business. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that whole issue of the 501c3 is very interesting when you look at the way some of these churches are run, especially when you got a minister saying that they don't have a board. It's like, okay, how do you have your 501c3 at that point? (laughs) Many of them don't. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's it's crazy because, you know, there's, you know, a a lot of churches really benefit off of the, you know, the tax exempt status. And, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you would just hope that if people are getting that benefit, that they're at the same time playing by the rules. But I have a feeling that that's not always the case. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'll probably get hate mail for saying this, but I'm one of the people who are in strong favor of stripping away the nonprofit status for churches. I don't think it should be nonprofit. If the government wants to help that, there's so many ministers taking advantage of that nonprofit status, and there's organized crime that is make, take, you know, taking advantage of this thing that exists. It's like this shelter for tax, man. Why would they allow this to continue? If instead you allowed the people to donate to the church and it went into some established fund that had actual rules and guidance on how to give it back to the people in the churches, I'm, in all, I'm all in favor of that. Put it in the fund, give the guy a salary, let the people decide what the salary is. But that money is for you. The money is for the people, not for the minister. And I've actually sat through sermons from some of these ministers saying that when you give it to me, you're giving it to God, and (laughs) God will bless you for it, but there's never a statement of what he uses it for. And I've seen, like, I have actually known people who could not put food on the table for their children. They actually had children who were starving, who tried to get some money from the church and could not, they were turned away. And had they gone to any other church in the city, they would have, I mean, these guys would have probably turned them over to some organization to help them. They were that poor. 
But the problem is these ministers, while they're saying, we're not going to have a vote, I'm not going to tell you where the money is, I'm not going to give you money when you need it, but don't go to those other churches because they're the devil. Yeah, and all that, it's it's so sad when, when you see that happen in, in some of these churches. But, you know, sometimes when you go to these churches on Sunday, you get a little bit more than you bargained for. Sometimes the minister starts going off in these political rants that some of these guys do. They get in some really weird places sometimes. And uh, sometimes you're even wondering if some of this stuff is for kids. <laughs> <laughs> so I think let's, uh, let's let this minister speak for themselves and, and let's dive in. And they have cast lots for my people and have given a boy for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they might drink. See, this become a cheap thing. That's a cheap thing in America now. You take some of these people that have been arrested and this one man had a whole island and here you had all these big shots. Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, and all of them went there because they had captured and taken young girls there and made them to be sex slaves. But it seems that nothing ever happens to the Clintons and to the big shots that have done so much evil and so much carnage and so much killing. I remember the Clintons had a man that was in his cabinet. That's probably been right at 20, uh, 20 years ago or a little better now. Might have been 98 or 9, somewhere along in there. They were going to a foreign country and they was going to land in a small airport. But just before they got there, because this man had some things that he was going to spill on the Clintons, they had them to turn the lights out. And the plane flew into a mountain. Why would, why would they turn the lights out? Actually, a possibility of hundreds of people died under, under their hands. Bill and Henry, Hillary both. But still he was recognized as somebody of importance, which he was not. Nor is she. Oh my gosh, James, <laughs> you didn't tell me that this was going to be in here and we did not put the disclaimer at the beginning of the video. Um, so uh, I have to keep my comments somewhat tame because we did not mention any sort of disclaimer, but I will say this. So these men, again, they came out of the message and I'll never forget being a child, being, you know, what was it? 13, I think is the first time I really was able to comprehend the minister saying, we're going to play this recording of this guy that died in the sixties. 
and it's for you children. This is a message specifically for your children on the dating rules and how you date, and it's about marriage and divorce. So when you date, it's with the goal of marriage, and here are the ground rules. And then play clips of this minister talking about how the women have wall-eyed conditions when they orgasm. It's not the place to do it when you're in the church, man. <laughs> and saying <laughs> and saying that I have a stack of papers on this subject, and I'm going to gather with you men, not you women, after this, and I'm going to show you men these papers. Now, this is on recording. Anybody who wants to can go look it up. Go to Branham.org and just, you know, go through the, I think it's table.branham.org, search in the transcripts. It's the only time in which wall-eyed word is used. This was an actual thing. These men think that from behind a pulpit, you can speak in a vulgar way, in a way that is pornography for the ears, and they think it's okay. But if you look at the historical timeline and you go back and review the historical podcasts, there are some very, very R and even X-rated subject matter in the cult itself. So these guys have this open-ended platform that they can literally say anything they want, even if the radio would censor it and say, we can't play this. <laughs> they can do it from behind a pulpit. Oh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And to think that there are children in this uh, congregation and that these sorts of things are being said across the pulpit. And there's you got probably like eight, nine-year-old kids asking their mom after church, what does XYZ mean? Because I've never heard this before. Because these are the sorts of things that parents would shield their kids from in most situations because they're like, you're a little too young for these sorts of, to have these conversations, these, you know, off-limits sort of thing. But, and if anyone outside of the church started having these conversations around their kids, one, they would get very irate with the person, and then they would also immediately get their kids out of there. But in these cult churches, you're held captive because this minister has an authority that, that was given to him by this prophet messenger. And like you said, had all these vulgar things that were said through the sermons across the pulpit. So if, if that's the, if that's the guy you're supposed to be living up to, if he set the example, then yeah, by all means, these guys have every right to say this stuff, but this is just not normal. And it's very strange and very weird to go on these weird kinds of rants in a, in a, on a sermon. Ah, it's, it's so weird. <laughs> it is. And <clears throat> we talked about it in the historical podcast, but <clears throat> the, the young man and the young boy and girl that was saved from the electric chair in the history of William Branham was a transsexual prostitute who later became a strong advocate for the um, gay and lesbians in Houston, but became one of the strongest promoters and supporters of Bill Clinton <laughs> during the Clinton campaigns. So the connections, it's just so weird and ironic when you think about it. But the fact that these people would go to this level, and <clears throat> I'm going to circle back to what I said at the beginning. The goal and intent is to scare people about voting in such a way where the women have no say. You know, it's, it's really odd to me that they let them vote in, in the church. The women have no say in voting in the political elections. But the fear that the women might actually <laughs> suddenly understand that the minister has no idea what's in the Bible. <clears throat> and so you eliminate the vote. And then you target 
sex slaves and you try to scare them on the political system so that you can bypass all of the laws of just common decency. Like if, if you're a minister and you're that egotistical that you think you don't need a vote because by golly, you're God's chosen minister, there's something wrong. Yeah. And it's one of the things that gets really weird when you start looking at the message, especially a lot of the when you start combining some of the research from the historical podcast, the main historical podcast, is that there was a lot of weird things with the KKK and politics and, and Branham, you know, has this, uh, you know, um, this crippled uh, congressman that he supposedly heals and all those sorts of stuff. And there's all these weird connections with politics all throughout. And, you know, it's hard to know if some of this stuff is disconnected these days. But it's just there's a troubling history with politics and this movement. And then to still see there's such a weird connection with politics today in a lot of these churches. And it takes different paths. And it depends on the minister themselves and, and, and kind of how they are and, and, and what their political leanings are, which direction these sort of churches take. But when you combine all that together in the larger context, it gets really weird and and it's it's really hard to kind of put some of this together sometimes because it's like what what is really going on here sometimes? Right. It's really interesting when you think about you know you mentioned the clan connections, but in more specific terms, the or broader terms, I should say, the white supremacy agenda of the '60s, which many of this is based on. You know, the there was a strong push against President Kennedy push against his being elected because Kennedy supported equal rights and he supported many of the things that the cult and its affiliates was, you know, not in agreement with. And there was this weird claim that Kennedy was elected because he was handsome and the women voted for him, which isn't true if you look at the statistics after the vote. But that was one of the claims. <clears throat> and, you know, you've got Kennedy who's going to support the African-Americans, and he's all for equal rights. You've got the white supremacists who are against Catholicism, against equal rights, wanting segregation of schools. So you had this big landscape of, you know, turmoil, political turmoil within the United States. And again, this was a religion I mentioned before. It's stuck in the 50s. Well, now we're, we're moving it a little bit forward. It's also stuck in the 60s. Because many of the weird doctrines about voting really come back to that. You had men who wanted to overthrow the government. They wanted to overthrow the established systems because they disagreed with them. And in these cult churches, like the very reason my grandfather did not count all the votes is he was afraid that he would be voted out. In other words, people would overthrow his system. So what's good for the goose is not good for the gander. It's okay if we overthrow the government, which they, ironically, still some of them preach today, we should overthrow the government, but not in our church, man. <laughs> I'm going to be the ultimate authority <laughs> forever until I die. And I, I will end my focus on my grandfather because I don't want to disrespect him, but picture this. Not many people know this. I do because I was part of the family. And even though I was ostracized, I knew what was going on. For the last few years of my grandfather's life, he suffered heavily from dementia to the extent that they would find him missing from his house 
and wandering down in the worst parts of Louisville, Kentucky, and they'd have to go find where he went to. And that's how bad out of touch he was with reality. But it's okay because he has a monarchy and he can still be part of the church, you know. Now, he at that point, I think he had split from the Branham Tabernacle, but his signs of dementia were showing long before the split. He was the leader of the church with dementia. He started a new church with severe dementia. And the fact that this is allowed, you know, if you go to a normal cult church, they'd be like, this guy's too old, man. And some <laughs> yeah. of the things he says is not coherent. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, you it, it's crazy, you know, cuz like like I alluded to earlier and you pulled out in your comments there as well, but you know, that there's this weird thing with Catholicism and everything else in in how it's so and and the way these ministers pull it out. And like you said, it's all going back to the central figure and what the agenda was and the things that they were doing. And the things they were saying about different groups for their own political agendas. And, you know, I mean, one of the things that, that was so interesting is even like, um, Branham himself, um, when you had, there was this whole thing with J. Edgar Hoover where he had claimed that he had proof that the machines in California, I believe it was, were rigged against Nixon. And that's why Nixon lost. And, Branham repeats this like oh, even 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 this great Jager Hoover, you know, and, and there's all this there's all this concentration about politics throughout this entire thing. And, you know, it even trickles through the day because all these all these ministers are taking their lead from the central figure, what he said about all these things, because it's God's word for this day. And, the, and, and if he said it across the pulpit, then obviously it was important enough for us to hear and it's on these recordings. So so we should we should take heed to all the things he said. Um, but that leads us into this next clip here and how all these old grudges and all these old political things trickle through to today and influence the things that the ministers are saying across their pulpits. Our prophet saw a woman in purple. Whether you want to argue, if you want to argue that, look at our look at our court system. It's filled with Catholics. All but one. Here we sit with a Catholic president that's done everything that he can to destroy the morality of America. We've had a lot of presidents that have taken us down this path. But this man was raised up to destroy, literally destroy, the, the morality of America. He <laughs> you know, James, of all you've picked, I think this is the most interesting. When you really think about the information that goes behind it, the, the reason why this guy's saying this, they are, you know, this woman in purple and William Branham's alleged prophecy. He claimed that women would be given the right to vote. And he, he claimed this was in 1933. He had this prophecy. Well, women could already vote by the time that he allegedly had this. <clears throat> and the story always went that it would be a female president. Then whenever Kennedy is running for his election and during the course of the Kennedy election to the transformation where he is assassinated and it goes into uh, the country goes into a different direction, the female prophecy transitions into a 
Catholic prophecy. And it doesn't matter if the, <laughs> if the president's male or female. Forget that I said that part. Let's talk about the Catholic <laughs> Church instead. <clears throat> At a time whenever white supremacy is rising up strongly against the Catholic Church, and I, I you know, growing up, I heard this so many times. Every single time there seemed to be a woman who had any sort of political influence. You know, Bill Clinton runs for president, even though Hillary wasn't to be vice president. They said, Clinton is the one because Hillary is the one ruling his roost. <laughs> and <clears throat> now you've got, you know, you've got Biden and you've got Kamala. And no matter how you twist this, it's, it's the definition of insanity. If you continue to try to do the same thing over and over again, or in this case, you're trying to say the same thing over and over again and expect a different result than you keep getting every single time, that's the definition of insanity. And all I have to say is that not only is this weird, the things we're talking about are insane. And I know I'll get a lot of hate mail from this from the crowd who was in the message, but I actually welcome a female president. I welcome a woman, <laughs> the women to vote and elect a female president. We've tried all these men, and look what they've done. I mean, if you look at the past two presidents that we've had, who, in my opinion, and I'm not getting into politics at all, we avoid that, they're complete buffoons. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you ignore that, you know, the president we have now reminds me of that movie, uh, weekend at Bernie's. You got the dead guy and you got the two party. That's what we have now. We have a weekend at Bernie's president. I can assure you, whether I like Kamala or not, she'd probably do a better job than him. But fortunately, the way in which our government is established, it really doesn't matter the president. We have a whole system of checks and balances for who becomes president. And that's the weirdest part about all of this. These ministers who are preaching this thing from the guy who admitted, I don't know the book real well. Well, he also didn't understand politics real well. <laughs> he didn't realize that <clears throat> his whole doomsday scenario really can't work in the United States. We have a system of checks and balances, and it's a pretty good system, even though I disagree with some of the things that they've done. It is a, it is a well-established system. But the irony is that they take the well-established thing that they know works out of the church. You're not going to elect a <laughs> elect a new minister. I, by golly, am the king of your castle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think about the whole woman in purple thing. It it it's gonna it, that gets a little outside of the topic. But at the same time, when you look into how these stage acts work and with these prophecies and stuff like that, you go very vague and you use things that can kind of be if you get close enough you can say well that's kind of that was a glimmer of what actually is so but the thing about saying somebody of importance or, or like a president wearing purple purple is one of those colors that is considered with royalty and luxury so yeah someone in an important position wear purple at one point in time that's almost a given you know it's <laughs> it's it's not even hard to say that that might happen you know and it's ridiculous that you know these really vague weird sorts of like elusive like prophecies are given so much weight and importance um when 
you know, every time you turn around, you get some woman that gets close to power and everyone's, everyone in that group is just like, oh, it's her, it's her, it's her, you know? And then someone says, well, you know, he also said it could be the Catholic church, you know? <laughs> and so you don't even have agreement on what it is. And even Branham at one point said that, that Kennedy was the fulfillment of that. They elected Kennedy, you know, and that's the Catholic, you know, and it's, it's, you, you've got all these things that are said in all these different places and you choose which one to take and run through. Uh, to whatever version that you're trying to siphon out. But, you know, and even all this thing about this fear about Catholics and Catholicism, you know, it's like, I'm not a Catholic. I don't have any dog in that race. I don't really care. I've never really met a Catholic that wanted anything anything against me in any way, shape or form. You know, the only thing I have is growing up and hearing all these negative things about Catholics, you know, but I don't have anything against Catholics. But these people... And in these groups are instructed, hey, the prophet said that Catholicism is going to take over um, the minds of the people in, in the end time and whatever prophetic scenario he has. And so Catholics are evil. And it's like, we're just basing it off of what this guy said. And this guy is <laughs> proven lied and, and, and his prophecies didn't come to pass and all this stuff. It's like, ah, it, it's, it's, it's crazy that they keep perpetuating this stuff when everything behind it is proven false but they keep running it forward as though it's a hundred percent validated it's in, it's insane yeah and the, the thing in purple like you said man <laughs> you've only got a few colors to choose from buddy <laughs> you know i think i'll end this show with a wager james i was given a prophecy by god and i was given the revelation that this weekend, one of the football games that you watch, there's going to be a team, and oh, brother, it's a team that they're going to be wearing some shade of white. It's going to either be on their, on their legs, or on their arms, or in their logo, but you're going to see white, my brother, and if I'm right, give me 50 bucks. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm going to lose this. <laughs> <laughs> if you have weird doctrines that you would like for us to discuss on the show, you can contact us on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org. For an in-depth look at the dangers of being in these destructive groups, read Weaponized Religion from Laterrain to Colonia Dignidad, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. 